Hello, I'm Nick, and this is the Niche Aviation Podcast. Today I speak to Sinjin Youngman, the Managing Director of Electroflight. Electroflight have partnered with Rolls-Royce to develop the world's fastest electric aircraft. Along the way, they've developed breakthrough battery storage systems, which could accelerate electric aviation as we know it. Sinjin's knowledge is unbelievable, and I'd highly recommend this episode to anyone interested in electric aircraft. Thanks for coming on. It'd be really interesting to understand your background. I know you started in with cars. Yeah, that's right. So um, my background in engineering started in automotive and, and specifically automotive electrification. So I was very fortunate straight out of school to effectively fall into the electrification world via a startup called Protein Electric. And um, at the time, they were pioneering in-wheel motor technology. And um, yeah, I was really fortunate to be a part of a very small team of people where we had to build demonstration vehicles to sh- demonstrate this this new wheel technology. Back then, this was this was pre-Tesla. You couldn't go and buy a mod- Tesla Model S. And we were building Mercedes E-Class sedans, big, powerful electric vehicles, and sort of doing this with sort of a team of kind of motorsport-derived kind of t- technicians and engineers. And yeah, I was really fortunate to be learning about these systems and we were hand building battery packs because you just physically couldn't go and buy a lot of this stuff. That was my really early start. I was very fortunate to sort of get into that world. That was obviously the automotive industry exploded um, in in that period and the industry woke up and and pushed on and Tesla emerged and the the acceleration was there. So I was really fortunate that my my career in automotive was linked to that. So um, as I'm sure you can imagine that all of the people with some skills and experience in that area were in high demand. So I was very fortunate to be able to move around a little bit and learn some skills and expertise around automotive and propulsion systems and even spent a bit of time in China again with Protein, which was really fantastic, sort of going and living yeah, in Shanghai. Yeah, li- living in Shanghai and sort of bouncing around to cities in China that no one's ever heard of, but there are major <laughs> ma- major automotive companies there doing and potential big customers. So I was yeah, it was really sort of formative formative experience and obviously working in startups is very different from from obviously bit larger companies and major car companies for instance. So I was very very versed in that sort of small agile team and yeah, as I said before, I was I was really fortunate to be working with some pretty fantastic people and sort of learning learning from them from from the outset. So yeah, a lot, a lot of fortune there around that sort of start in automotive. And so how did you hear about Electroflight? Because I know that you joined after it was started. Automotive engineering was was fantastic. Actually, my sort of career intention was to be to be in aviation. The automotive engineering was kind of a detour. I'd actually dropped away from engineering and was pursuing an aviation career. I was working for a, a jet charter company in operations. And um, as part of that work, I was doing my finishing my pilot training. So aviation was always sort of key key passion of mine, and so I relocated from China to the Southwest, which was different for me. I'd known about Electroflight, I'd seen magazine articles and bits and pieces, and um, I thought, well, maybe if I turn up, they'll let me clean the aeroplane and and help out in some small way, because obviously, you know, it's like when you're looking from the outside into some businesses, you you assume they're really far ahead. And Roger had done a great job on the airframe. I got talking to Roger, and it got on really well and went and visited them in Stroud and realized that it was a great start, but there was lots of work to do. And very clearly, there was kind of a, a synergy in that you had Roger with his experience of the airframe. And in, I was coming from a propulsion system background, electric propulsion system background. And 
although I didn't have all of the answers around sort of all the engineering, I've been working around the types of people that have got all of the answers. So it's more about sometimes knowing what it takes to get there, not necessarily being able to, to do it all, because obviously there's very few of us that could do it. It's very multifaceted sort of engineering discipline. So that's where that sort of went really. And it's very interesting. So I carried on obviously working the day job and pursuing that, that aviation career. But in the background, Electroflight was bubbling away and becoming more and more interesting from a part-time perspective. And yeah, we started developing ideas and went from there really. That's amazing. So initially you weren't, you just joined as a kind of like a passion project then? All of the time that I was in automotive engineering, I um, paid for my private pilot's license and I, I'd done lots of gliding when I was younger. And, and so flying is, is a real passion and, and sort of general aviation air engineering has always been a, a passion of mine. I'd always hoped at some point in my career, I could blend those two two elements, aerospace and engineering, but I didn't quite think it would be that soon. So Electroflight was that perfect opportunity to take the kind of the raw passion and background and my knowledge of aviation, which is pretty nerdy kind of sitting in my spare room reading sort of technical technical articles and journals on on all sorts of elements of engineering to even sort of building and owning mine aeroplanes as well. So uh, yeah, Electroflight was that real bridge to bring together kind of that grounding. And I'd seen what electrification had done in automotive and it was pretty pretty stark to see how incredibly quickly the industry moved and obviously now we're looking at a landscape where post 2030 you won't be able to buy an internal combustion engine car and even five years ago that sort of notion was dramatic so i always knew that aerospace would go through that phase and saw i always wanted to hope that i'd be a part of it and i think electrify i saw that as the opportunity to to really be a part of that from the, from day one that's really interesting. So maybe if we take a step into that and we talk about, so Roger Target started Electrify, is it was in 2011? That's right, yeah. Why did he start it? Roger's like myself, a very passionate aerospace guy. It's been his life and he's got great pictures of him in his native South Africa playing with model aeroplanes in the bush and all of this stuff. And it's just one of those things where and he's obviously pursued that passion in his career and he's he's run some successful engineering businesses doing aircraft maintenance and glider maintenance and and for him he recognized as well that electrification could be a real step change and from Roger's point of view I think he'd be the first one to admit there's a there's a fantastic naivety to how Roger approaches things in that Yes, there are technical challenges, but as, as far as he's concerned, that let's just get on and go and focus them. So Roger was actually, 2011 was very early to be talking about electric airplanes full stop. So he was really, it took someone with that kind of vision. And yes, he didn't know how it would go, but fundamentally he knew that electrification would have a factor in, in the next phase of sort of aerospace development. So um, very passion driven, which is what a lot of startups need in those early stages is, is that passion to yeah sort of moving early moving quickly which is what he did he managed to get that foothold in electrification even though yes he was focusing on an airframe concept fundamentally but it was still what was needed and attracted and got rolls-royce talking and that led to the sort of inception of the axel program which is yeah that that's really interesting because on the in the early days then so how did he pick the airframe and the the batteries and how did he go about that the airframe was uh, his own design, literally at a drawing table, sketched it. And then he worked with some contractors he knew, some design engineers, and they turned that into the, into the CAD design, effectively helped produce the tooling from the propulsion system. The propulsion system wasn't actually designed. So that was kind of one of the big 
steps that we took when I came on board was was sort of planning that that propulsion system side and how we could deliver that. I think there that the motor from that perspective, Roger had already engaged with Yasser Motors, and what's really cool is that really early engagement with Yasser, who at the time were a very early days automotive startup and now are quite established. But what's really cool is the Yasser motor is what we've just we were using on the Axel program. So so that relationship actually, even though they were, and it goes to show how the foresight Yasser had to engage with Roger, even though he was pretty much a one man band starting Electroflight, that actually turned into a major project with Rolls-Royce down the line so there'd been some yeah not too much focus on on that powertrain because it was the real gap it was there wasn't anybody out there doing electric propulsion system design for aerospace and when I came on board I my kind of real input was to say yeah I think the airframe is a is a great capability to have and it's what's enabled us to help deliver the Axel program but but fundamentally we can really make an impact if we focus on that propulsion system that's where industry there were gaps in the aerospace supply chain fundamentally there's lots of great airframers out there and we're very good now at manufacturing complex composite structures and it would be very hard to bring a new value add in that area whereas the propulsion system roger accepted if we can go be pioneers and if we can go do interesting things there that's potentially where electroflight has the best opportunity to grow rapidly and to play with the big players and, and hopefully make an impact and that's hopefully we're starting to see that that strategy sort of play out and realize itself. Wow. So this is between kind of like 2011 and 2016. Is that right? So those five years are the, the early days, really? Yeah. So, so the early years was was, was, was Roger. My, my involvement started in about 2017, 2018. So around about that time. So just from a, a part-time point of view, and it was more about the company was looking for investment and I was there helping to develop that strategy around the propulsion system and then fundamentally designing the Axel program. Obviously, the the big change is we had to, the, the P1E is a beautiful little aircraft design, but it was designed as a very short endurance racer aircraft effectively for something similar to a Red Bull Air Race. But when we started to sit down with Rolls-Royce, we, we realized that we need to be much more ambitious in terms of the power and energy levels of a propulsion system that we'd develop and unfortunately that requires just a bigger aeroplane there's just some fundamental rules you just physically couldn't fit it all into that little aeroplane so we, we very much see the p1e as a fantastic start to the company and it's what got us to where we are now it was a great step and although it never flew i think kind of literally looking at it now it's hanging from the uh inside the hangar we've got it the mock-up hanging inside the hangar so we see it every yeah. day and even though we're we're off doing some we're doing fundamentally battery system design and manufacture now that the p1e still sits there as the as the thing that started it all really so yeah it's, which is pretty nice i like that that's that's, that's a good part of the journey and the story yeah no it is definitely because it enables you to get to where you are now so roger's designed the airframe and you come in and you come up with the um propulsion designs or how how it all will work and then the next stage of that is finding partners and you've you've successfully partnered with Rolls-Royce how did that come about and how how did you have the courage to go out there and think well don't worry we can find partners for this they'll pay for it or they'll help us get to the next level believe it or not pre-covid we were allowed to go to these things called conferences where we'd all travel across the country and and, and meeting rooms and all talk and and it was one of those old-fashioned conferences uh, where um which obviously only a few years ago but um yeah a few years ago roger met phil odell who's uh, rolls royce's chief test pilot at a conference they uh they're two 
guys that are really experienced in their fields and they 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 struck it off got talking and Phil in his in in his foresight sort of saw something in Roger that meant that the contact continued and some conversations started with Electroflight and Rolls-Royce and we sat down and and, and at the time Rolls-Royce Electrical who were sort of leading the electrification within within Rolls-Royce were looking for initial kind of launch projects to sort of go forwards with and we decided that we had enough in common in terms of our goals and ambitions that we should try and design a collaborative program that would enable us to achieve all of our respective goals. And in the background, I'd always had the NXT as a great platform that I always wanted to convert one day. I used to sit in Shanghai in various coffee restaurants or whatever at weekends, and I would sketch out designs and bits and pieces. And the NXT, famous sort of Reno racer record setter in its own right, was always that aircraft that if I had the unlimited budget and unlimited access to sort of engineering tools and stuff, I'd go for that aeroplane. And I used to sketch out and do some feasibility numbers on weight and balance and all this stuff, just messing around really, never thinking it would ever it would ever come to fruition. And then when we sat down with Rolls-Royce, I began to realize that th- this could be the program, that, that this could be what we could all achieve. And so we pitched it to Rolls-Royce and said, how about this aircraft? And we can we think we could do this. And to my surprise, they said, let's go for it, let's do it. And the airspeed record seemed like a, a fantastic way of driving the p- performance. So it means that you've got a target to ensure that you're pushing the engineering as much as possible. And of course, bringing Rolls-Royce on board, you're bringing that experience um, and sort of general aerospace design that, that, that fundamentally Electroflight, through its inexperience, won't have. So we saw a lot of your yeah, ability to combine our sort of respective skill sets and actually end up with a well-rounded project that sort of turned out the way it has today. So yeah, the, the, the start was it happened quite quickly, but once we settled upon it, we very quickly thought that this was a program that the ATI, so the Aerospace Technology Institute, would be willing to support. And we wrote the submission and, and went through the phases of the application as you do with with those guys. And yeah, the sort of, when was it? I think it was Christmas 2017 was the, the announcement that we were going to get it, which was absolutely fantastic. You can imagine all that hard work and turmoil. And then, yeah, we started for the following year and pushed on with the program, which was which was fantastic. That's amazing. So if you speak about the first few days of partnership with Rolls-Royce then first of all why were they so interested in in this project why is it important for them to so this is all part of project excel which is accelerating electrification of aircraft why are they so keen on this project there were some really key elements that we noted in the design of the program so the first one was electrification propulsion systems aerospace don't have the track record and the, the experience so what you wanted to do, the program was always set out for Electroflight to go and recruit the team, basically build a team of individuals, predominantly from the sort of automotive and motorsport background, who a team of people that have been building batteries, propulsion systems. And we wanted to leverage all of that capability that we have in the UK to help this program kind of make that jump forward. So from a Rolls-Royce point of view, it was wanting to get an aircraft flying, get a representative propulsion system flying as quickly as possible, gather all of this learning and all of this pent-up kind of capability in the UK that traditionally that they potentially wouldn't be able to recruit. And Electroflight and this project is the perfect 
perfect vehicle to do that really and then and that, that that's effectively effectively what we did so the first year of the program was as much about building a company and building a team as it was the kind of the early design phases and all of those elements of it and we were very fortunate we were able to bring that that incredible team together from obviously mechanical design engineers electron electrical design engineers battery system design we built that team in that first year and and basically started the actual thinking of right we've got to build this propulsion system and it will have someone go flying in and for Rolls-Royce that was that was a good first step for them as well they had some other programs obviously that were starting but this was a good fast paced relatively low cost and i mean Rolls-Royce's large business very large r&d budgets that are going into lots of different areas but fundamentally this project delivers for trl6 so an, an aircraft demonstration it's doing that very cost effectively and that's obviously a startup business much lower overheads can move very quickly so there were lots of really big benefits from that and of course from a Rolls-Royce perspective they've been embedded within Electroflight so it's been very collaborative from from day one so we had a couple of individuals have been with us on the program from Rolls-Royce's side since day one and and, and that's great because we've had lots of ups downs as you can imagine tense moments great moments all of the way from those first meetings talking about design and now we're testing that propulsion system and the aircraft and getting ready to go fly it so pretty special really. And the goal is to get an aircraft flying more than 300 miles an hour and the current speed record I think is 230 is that right? Yeah that's right yeah so it's it's around about there so sort of mid to low 200s and and that's a record that is currently set by Siemens in an extra aircraft so sort of an aerobatic type trainer aircraft so we want to set the record. We, we're pretty happy. We're pretty confident that we're able to push the record quite far forwards. In fairness to, to Siemens, when they set that record, that it was more they did it because they could. They've already, they'd already designed a, a great propulsion system and they'd been flying this extra. And then they realised that ooh, that the record is up for the taking. The, the aircraft isn't very optimised for that sort of thing. So from our perspective, we, we were always very confident that we'd be able to push the record forwards because we're really quite we're a very dedicated project to that target of going quickly and going fast. So. That was the main objective of the program that kind of underlies underlies what we're trying to achieve. But of course, around all of it, that there's lots of industry level targets. Obviously, we want to we we, we don't want to just walk away with a record and, and and an aircraft that that has no technology relevance and has no industry relevance. We always wanted to try and get a really good trade off between yes, we've set a record that we think will, will last for hopefully many years but we don't know obviously it's sort of slightly torn at some point sometimes you want the record to be there for a long time but then also i'd love to see how another team of people would tackle the problem and go and take the record from back from us or something like that but we've got to find that balance between developing a system that's really safe as well we don't we don't we never wanted to trade off safety and, and we don't think we've done that really to any extent we think quite conversely we've got one of the safest propulsion electric propulsion systems flying and we think it's um we've really pushed that element and and that was fundamentally what Rolls-Royce bring to the table in the partnership is is that just really disciplined approach to ensuring that your your so the adult principle so so as low as reasonably practical really so always pushing can it be safer and what are the trade-offs and and i think that that actually really shows through in, in the aircraft when you look at some of the redundancy features that we've got and how we've developed the systems and of course some of those will add weight and they'll reduce some other elements so so you are making these small trade-offs but from our perspective, we think this sets us sets us up much better for the future as obviously Electroflight, where we're looking to emulate Rolls-Royce and go and become a de facto sort of aerospace company that is is 
sort of supplying energy storage systems. So for us, this was a really good opportunity to learn and to and to develop. So yes, there's going to be an airspeed record, hopefully in a, in a couple of months' time, and a fantastic aircraft that we'll have to look at. But the real deliveries of the project are hopefully going to be Electroflight's future success and the the legacy that the project has within Rolls Royce and Yasser Motors as well. So yeah, it's always a, it's always about more than just the, the the record and the aircraft. Yeah, and so with achieving that goal, I personally see that there's three aspects to it. There's the the airframe, there's the motors, and then there's the batteries. Do you reckon we could all just just delve a bit deeper into each one of those? Yeah, sure. So if we talk about the airframe first of of, of how how you went about selecting that airframe, what were the factors that make you decide on the the NXT? The NXT, I mean my my hat goes off to to John Sharp and his team over in the US who who designed the NXT in the early 2000s to effectively dominate air racing and set airspeed records and that they went and achieved that it's an absolutely fantastic design and then anyone that's seen it I, I and anyone that hasn't i really suggest you go see it because it's a it's a really very beautiful design and yeah looks very optimized looks like it's the, all the usual usual sayings it looks like it's going hundreds of miles an hour just sat still it's a great airframe design but but there's some really special engineering behind it so that the overall concept of the the, the airframe I've said to John, we've actually we were chatting to John a few weeks ago, who's who's really supportive of the project, which is always great. Is I said you accidentally designed the best aircraft, electric aircraft platform for us 10, 15 years before he he realised it, it could ever be a possibility. And it all comes down to the philosophy. So so the wing uh, on the aircraft is a is a laminar flow airfoil, high aspect ratio, very very skinny, so it's got very shallow spar. And when you see the aircraft in plan form, it looks very odd. It looks like the wing is too small, but it's it's really the key to the aircraft's success. So it's got this um, almost glider type airfoil on it that's very, very efficient. And one of the downsides of having that style of wing is it's not very suitable for turning into a wet wing and storing lots of fuel there. So actually, the fuel all went into the center section behind the big IO540 sort of twin turbo Lycoming engine. So... When you look at the NXT, it's a big engine up front with a firewall and then a very big fuel tank behind it. Now, when I first saw an NXT at Reno a few years ago when I was over there for the races and you just look at the plan form and then the head starts thinking and going, actually, if you remove those two bits, you've got that perfect singular space for the battery system. And that's what's really important. So just like in an electric car so a lot of electric all, all pretty much all electric cars have got the skateboard platform now so it's all about having a single very very large battery system and obviously you get a lot of efficiency gains from doing that in terms of the packaging it's really important you do that a lot of the original electric cars that had kind of a battery pack where the engine used to be and then one where the fuel tank used to be their performance was was, was quite poor because they were using a platform that just wasn't suitable for it and it's exactly the same with any aircraft conversion you've got to get the battery as a, a single unit effectively to have any chance of getting the energy density that you need so yeah, the, the the NXT just perfectly fits that, and there just there are so few aircraft that fit that because fuel is just so perfectly obvious for going in the wings because it's easy to seal them, and then you go from there. So so when it was so the the program was effectively designed around the NXT. It was pretty much the only aircraft we could go this quickly with. The big problem that we had is only ten kits were ever made in that early two thousands period. 
We knew of about six or seven aircraft that had been built. So we knew there were so few kits left available and we really wanted a kit. We didn't want to convert an old airplane that's originally flying because we wanted to have sort of traceability on the build and all of these other sort of factors that give you confidence. So the beginning of the program was was a bit fraught because it was all about, can we go get this airframe? Otherwise, we, we didn't really didn't know we didn't have too many options or plan B's. So we sort of went out on a worldwide search for this, this these elusive hidden kits. And it was almost like it was like a really weird sort of documentary treasure hunt. So you're <laughs> so you've literally got a team of three or four people kind of scouring Facebook and LinkedIn and trying to talk to people. And it was very odd. We had stuff like um, we had people providing misinformation because they didn't want They'd rather sell their aeroplane. And it was, but eventually we tracked down the last remaining kit was in a a hangar in France, just outside Paris. It was uh, the team, the Big Frog team. So they'd built a diesel powered NXT, similar project to ours. So with Safran as the sponsor, and they wanted to demonstrate how efficient this diesel engine was. They unfortunately had a landing incident with the aircraft, and the insurance money paid for a brand new kit. But they never built it. They basically disbanded and all went to the winds. So effectively, this kit had been sat in a shed outside the back of a hangar for a number of years. And it was a bit leaky shed and we were a bit unsure. And we went over to inspect this kit. And I mean, when I say kit, it's I always reference it. It was like it's like an airfix kit that you haven't got any of the instructions and some of the bits are missing, but you don't know which bits. So the first year was really about reverse engineering trying to get them as many of the design details as we could and trying to contact as many nxt builders out there that obviously which, which there aren't many to try and really get a good feel for how to build this thing properly obviously we, we really wanted to make sure that we we had the safest platform possible and then towards the end of that year we were surprised we basically we found out that the the rights holder for the NXT had been sold on. So John and his team had decided that, that, that John was ready for retirement. He'd, he'd won, he'd got lots of records and lots of accolades and he sold the design on. And the, the rights holder was in Milton Keynes of all places, a guy called Colin Boyd. So, and uh, yeah, we got talking to Colin Boyd and eventually we came up with an agreement and Colin agreed to hand us all of the original design data and that was so key to the project because we were actually 3d scanning and reverse engineering a lot of of the lot of the airframe and we were quite a long way down that path and we we were able to secure the actual real real design cad which was absolute game changing in terms of how the level of maturity we could put into the actual full cad design and really beneficial so yeah um big thanks to colin for supporting us with that because that really changed the program pretty significantly. Yeah, I can imagine. And so you've got the airframe and then you decide, so you you partnered with Yasa Motors and I know you have three motors in your aircraft. Is that right? The Yasa Motors, some great features about the motor. So the 750R is designed for direct drive automotive applications. So it's not designed to have a gearbox, which basically means that the RPMs are pretty much exactly where you need them to be. So kind of maximum kind of motor mate, what motorway speeds, the RPM of the wheel of say an 18 inch wheel is around about that sort of 
2,200, 2,300 RPM, and obviously it will go a bit more. And obviously, if you look at propeller RPMs, obviously the sweet spot is around 2,500. You need one of these direct drive motors to obviously drive the propeller. And obviously, Yasser developed the 750, which is a, a great candidate. Now, the other feature about the Yasser that works so well is it's a pancake motor that's designed to be stacked. So effectively, you can put one in front of the other and you can just build yourself a more powerful motor unit, which was a really big advantage. Again, the Yasser motor. So one of the reasons Yasser are a project partner is that they, they were so critical to the delivery of the project. So we, they joined as a, as a partner in the program, which was, which was really fantastic. So we've worked with Yasser for, for the course of the program to understand the motor for our application and obviously we're stacking them on the common shaft so each motor drives its own spline part of the shaft but fundamentally there's a single prop shaft that goes through attaches to the to the propeller system so yeah yes have been fantastic they've obviously done lots of independent testing and sort of understanding our requirements and duty cycle which is quite aggressive because if you can imagine in an automotive environment okay the motors can do peak very high torque and delivery but in aerospace, it's not like putting your foot down and doing a zero to 60 rather than you back off. It's put your foot down and leave it down for many, many minutes. So it's, it's all about continuous power in, in aerospace. So for Yasser, it was a really good opportunity for them to understand yeah, the aerospace sector a little bit more. One of their key objectives of the program was to under, try and explore the market as a whole to understand if they want to, as well as automotive, explore the aerospace sector. So, so I mean, for them, there were, again, it was a real opportunity for them to push forward into aerospace and yeah i think the project has achieved that for them which is really really good and that delivers about 500 horsepower is that right yeah so we're at 400 kilowatts across all three so that works out about i think it's 538 horsepower i can't remember but yeah around about that which is plenty that's a serious amount of power in in this this airframe or any airframe for that matter so We've definitely got enough power, that that's for sure. And obviously the cooling systems are all built all, all built around it. But it's a, it's a really impressively compact unit. When Yasser designed the, the 750, they never expected to, it to be attached to a great big propeller. Electroflight designed all of the the bearing structure, so the, the cage that goes around it that enables it to take all of the gyroscopic and thrust loads from the propeller system. So yeah, we had a, a fantastic design team yeah designed that and it's yeah, a beautiful piece of engineering so if you ever, if you ever see just pay, uh, see the aircraft but it's a really interesting part to have a look at it's all nicely lightweighted really efficient package so we're very happy with that that motor unit up front as a matter of interest what what is the motor used for what typically Typically, it's used to say, I think it was developed for some especially sports car applications. So I think it's the, the motor is in hypercars. So I think Koenigsegg, it's in the Regara. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's a very high end. Uh, they'd probably, of their own admission, it's a prototype motor. So it's a, like a series development. So it's a low volume, which is why when you look at it, it's all beautifully machined aluminium. It's not high production level castings and they do have obviously some of their products that were going in that direction but for us it was the just the right end of the market it's a low volume high quality high performance motor system so yeah it's it really quite excellent for the job that's great and then the final piece of the puzzle is the batteries so i know this is a, a key part of electric aircraft because i guess as the listening here is typically a normal aircraft has fuel which has on average, about 500 watts per kilogram. Battery density technology is the key player here. And, and I think your battery technology gets about 180 watts per kilogram. 
not quite the same as fuel, but actually compared to what was out there previously, it's a huge step up. So it'd be interesting to talk about this. It can't be understated how big a part of the airframe that the energy storage system is in all metrics. So it's quite heavy. So as, as we know, energy storage systems are quite heavy, but it's also uh, our battery case is structural, which is really quite interesting. So it's basically taking the propulsive load from the front of the aircraft and it's the unit that transfers that load back into the airframe and that was done it was a key architectural decision so that we didn't have the overhead of the weight of any sort of exoskeleton going around the outside of the battery so the battery really is quite a complex beast it's probably the single biggest effort in the program to get right because it yes it's that structural case but also it's it's fundamentally free battery systems within that case so we have free 750 volt battery systems within it and that's following the architecture of the free motors so when we realized that we needed free motors at the front it became a very quick decision to explore which was to, to, to follow that architecture back. So if each motor has its own inverter, then it makes sense that each inverter has its own battery. And then effectively, you have free independent powertrains for quite low overhead that you would have otherwise already had. So, so we went down that route with the architecture to, and almost effectively, they're, redundant, they're quite redundant systems. Yes, there's a common shaft up front, but that's, that's quite a reliable element to work with. So the energy storage system, yeah, big, big focus for the program. Obviously, we'd brought a team of people in to focus, uh, to come and focus on the energy, the, the battery design. The only part of that battery system that's a, a bought in part is the cell. So, everything other than the cell is a completely custom designed object uh, in, in the back. So, it's a very customized battery module for, for this application. It's something we're really proud of on the project. So, there's a lot of design and development in those, those early sort of months and those years to get, to get the pack up and going. One of the key areas that was challenging coming from an automotive background to the aerospace background was around safety and trying to understand where we set our objectives and the bar for safety. I'm pretty glad we set the bar very, very high. Works around the fundamentals as, as a lot of anyone that's been around sort of the urban air mobility kind of market that's emerging. Energy storage system safety is a really big factor and it's one of the, the biggest industry challenges that we all have to get on top of in the next few years. And we wanted to make sure on this project we were trying to get as many as much of that learning towards that out of the way and get through it we've made a good start there and and that starts right in terms of at the bottom of the, the design in terms of how much sensing that we put into the module how much effort we put into thermal runaway containment so we put a lot of effort in that region and and sometimes you do need to trade off a little bit of weight so that's why it's very hard to compare numbers sometimes in terms of watt hours per kilogram so at a, a module level, we're about 200 watt hours per kilogram, which we're we're very happy. But obviously, the overheads when you go to the pack level, so one, our case is structural, so there's a bit of extra weight overhead because some of the composite elements of that case aren't just making the case; they're actually taking loads. There's some weight there, but even things like fire protection, additional safety sensors, these all add a little bit of overhead that that, that change that number. But what we're trying to ensure is that the package it operates at a sort of a at a system level and there's a safety case behind it for why we're happy that if in the very rare event that a cell goes into a random thermal runaway we, we've got a very well understood 
safety case of how that might propagate and all of our actions and mitigations that go through. And that's obviously, we, we had to create a safety case that enabled Rolls-Royce to be comfortable to go and fly this aircraft. And, and that, that was a big challenge for the program, it's, it's got to be said, but the team rose to that. And yes, there was some, we actually had to adapt the design a little bit as we go, because we were all learning together. We were learning through the testing that we were doing. So we did, we did a very large amount of testing on this program. So we spent a big portion of the program actually setting stuff on fire, setting cells on fire, forcing, <laughs> forcing them into thermal runaway, understanding the characteristics. So there was quite a fun phase, but it certainly opened our eyes to the challenge when we were looking at some of the videos of how these cells do go into that thermal runaway. And it was a bit of an eye opener, but, and, and of course we'd always sort of known, known this from our automotive background, but it was just a different context when you know that this aircraft's going to be airborne and you're going flying. So it really pushed us to, to come up with some great design solutions and the team has done. So from Electroflight's point of view, it's been a great opportunity to provide a, an amazing baseline for our company going forwards and into the energy storage system market. So a couple of questions here. Firstly, is you talked about the redundancy. So given that they all have different packs every motor can the aircraft operate effectively on one motor then yes it can so, so that's obviously one of the great benefits of having a grossly overpowered airplane that's designed to set speed records is that it's always got uh, quite an excess of power when everything's working so we can the airplane can fly on on a single propulsion system which is great because it, because obviously from building a safety case you know that you can have some issues in the different powertrains and, and you've still got a good amount of reserve to to get the aircraft and sort of return to base. Wow. And you can see that use case as things go forward of twin aircraft engine going forward actually won't be twin aircraft. They'll actually have six motors and three times as much redundancy as previously. And another potentially silly question here is, why did you decide to develop the batteries and why can you, for example, go and use Tesla batteries? Again, it goes back to that safety case, and and I think I'll use the sensor temperature sensors is a really interesting one. So so in the automotive industry, you look at a Tesla pack. There's probably somewhere in the and I don't know exactly, but so for every fifteen to twenty cells, there will be one sensor that looks at those cells, and they use kind of extrapolations and models to understand what the temperature might be over the here if I've got a sensor in this place and and that works really well and there aren't that many electric cars that randomly set on fire I think we're all getting used to that I think they've made great great steps forward that's a really developed safety case that works really well now when you start understanding aerospace and the criticality of if one cell does have an issue how quickly you need to be able to get on top of that and inform the pilot so the pilot can because fundamentally it's just the time it takes to get the aircraft and its passengers on the ground to safety is just longer so you just need to make sure that you're creating as much time in that failure event as possible and the only way to do that is to put more sensing into the battery so it's a real focus for electroflight how can we make the battery as intelligent as possible in terms of its sensing so that you've got every opportunity at spotting the failures as they happen? So temperature sensing is a great example. So we've developed a system that measures the temperature of every single cell in the pack. So that's something like 6,600 and I can't remember the, the exact number, but over 6,000 cells and we've got a way of measuring the temperature on each one. And okay, there is a bit of a weight overhead and a complexity overhead, but the team here have managed, it's all about doing that as efficiently as possible. And we've got some great electronics design engineers and they work really closely with the, the mechanical engineers to come up with really clever ways of doing this. There's a there's always a right way and a, and, a, and a wrong way of doing it. And when you see 
when I see an elegant solution that they come up with and you go, wow, I've no idea how you think about, but there's some, the idea becomes obvious once you've seen it sometimes. And that's where we, we're, we're really pushing forward is trying to build as much sensing into these packs to build that safety case. And, and that's the fundamental reason why automotive has a great safety case for its application for the energy storage system. But fundamentally aerospace is so different that actually we're, we're on a divergent path. So aerospace battery designs are going to start moving in a different direction likely to, to automotive because they're, they're different objectives. Now, there are some commonalities, obviously commonalities being energy density. So we want the cells to be as light as possible for a given energy and all of this good stuff. But there are also quite big differences in the power demand. So so I think we will start to see a bit of a divergence. And, and one of the big factors in that divergence is the safety case. It's a very different application and we need to develop our packs for that application. And the flip sides of that is, is then going to be cost. So automotive is all about driving a bomb cost and driving a manufacturing cost down to with exceptionally high volumes. And, and they're very, very good at that. And I mean, Elon Musk always, I think he's famous for saying quite often that, that what Tesla are really good is they're a very good manufacturing company. The, the car design bit that happens up front, yeah, okay, they're, they're pretty damn good at that, but, they, but they're a very good manufacturing company. And that's where they're making most of their, their revolutions effectively. And, and they're really showing the big OEMs how it's done is around that manufacturing. Now, aerospace is slightly different because effectively you do slight trade-offs in that the volumes are lower, but you need higher higher quality you need more sensing so the, the, the cost the cost is different what's quite interesting is unfortunately urban air mobility and is kind of challenging that a little bit because these guys kind of want the best of both worlds they want volume so that they can go and change mobility as we know it but then they also <laughs> want they also want aerospace safety and uh, we're kind of stuck in the middle as a supplier going which one is it so we're designing this really <laughs> We're designing this really safe battery system, and then we're also having conversations about, but it's got to cost this much, and it's like, well, <laughs> it's, it's a real balance. So this is the the challenge for our business going forwards, and and for the industry as a whole is is how how do we do this? And that's why for me, although we work across different electrification as a whole, we do fixed wing, we do we do other elements, of course, but that's why urban air mobility is really interesting because it's that brand new challenge it's a real really disruptive kind of it's not just the aerospace business model but electrified it's a whole new business model and that, that that's why we find it really interesting and we're, we're looking to yeah specialize there a bit more yeah and i'll definitely touch on that in a in a bit just to finish off here and in, in this bit is so with the project excel you're hoping to so you've done the ground testing now and within the next couple of months what happens then or how does the test work and how does that all we're in a fantastic phase so so we've just built an absolutely awesome looking machine and and, and every time i sort of walk into the hangar and see it it just looks fantastic and that's a sort of testament to the team so but we're we're learning about the system now we're we're, we're uncovering very slowly as we do each test we're, we're we're spending time looking at the data and that's really important it's so effectively, because we've developed three powertrains in one aircraft, you can imagine it is pretty damn complex and there's some complex cooling systems and there's all of these elements. And we're trying to learn more, learn about what we've built, basically. And, and the test teams are going, spend, taking their time going through the data, upping the power, upping the power run profiles. And we've got a, a static sort of tethered system where we can tie it down and we make lots of noise for our neighbors here at the airfield with the propeller. But we're really learning about about the system and obviously charging it up and doing all of these things for the first time. It's the free powertrains, whereas previously we've only sort of done one at a time. So 
that's a really important phase and we need to make sure we we look after it it's, our, it's we've only built one so we need to make sure we, we don't do anything silly so this is where rolls-royce's flight test experience and sort of propulsion system test experience is is fantastic they're leading this part of the program and obviously it's supported by the electroflight engineers from the systems perspective very soon we'll get ready to pack the aircraft up so we the aircraft was always built with the design intent that we always knew we could never ferry fly it from a to b mainly because we don't have a huge amount of range as i'm sure most people predict we don't know exactly what that range is i know that's probably the next question <laughs> um and, and also re- from a regulatory ex- uh, perspective as well because it's obviously an experimental airplane we've not done much flying we can't just move it from a to b we just need to we need to be careful there so so we can actually take the entire propulsion system and air part air airplane apart with about eight bolts and four electrical connectors so hopefully we'll, we'll be able to show, there'll be some more media pictures on that because it really goes to show that it's effectively a propulsion system with an airplane attached to the back of it it really is it really is that way around it, it the, the airframe is absolutely dominated by the propulsion system even in terms of weight so the composite aircraft is about 300 kilograms ready to go and then it's attached to a propulsion system that's about 700 kilograms so so we we literally wheel the airplane onto the battery Whereas most people would always think you apply the powertrain to the airframe, whereas we do the opposite, which I think is just a cool, cool difference of just the way things are in terms of the, it's just changed the, the proportion of, of aircraft, which I, th- I think is cool. So we'll take the aircraft to Boscombe Down, which is where we're doing the test test program. And yeah, we'll build it up, get ourselves ready, and, and then we'll go flying. So as I'm sure you can imagine, there's a big list of test flights that we'll do, and then we'll build the aeroplane up in terms of its speed and performance. And there'll be an exciting few days where we go set some records. Um, wow, I'm sure you'll get lots of exciting people sit- sitting around Boscombe Down watching this <laughs> electric yeah. plane fly. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But um, yeah, so we'll have to be obviously manage that as best we can. I think we're going to have lots of videos. So we're, we're really keen. So Rolls-Royce yeah. as well and all of us, we're keen to share with the world what we're doing. And we're starting to do that. Obviously, it's a balance between being inundated and slow and, and, and not achieving what we're supposed to do. But but we are really keen to show people what we've done. And, and we're very proud of it. And I think when we do go set, set some records, the the interest will be there and, and we, want to, we want to share that. So yeah, that's going to be a, a really really enjoyable phase of the project i think i'm excited for that and then so what's next for electroflight after this is once you've got because i know that you're not just project excel like you were touching on here you've got so much experience and learning particularly within the, the battery technology and that's your focus so there's a couple of things maybe yeah if we could go through that okay one of the objectives of axel was to develop electroflight as a business and, and, and give it an opportunity and we were actually a little bit of a victim of our own success in that very early on in the program, Electroflight was growing very quickly and developing and we were starting to bid and, and we actually won a couple of major other projects, which gave a bit of a challenge in that we had to become a, a multi-project company, which was really fantastic or interesting phase. So we had to go from the Axel company with Rolls-Royce as our only customer, and then we had to grow and start delivering to other customers and obviously Rolls-Royce are fantastically supportive in that and obviously they, they want to see us grow and develop and be successful on the back of Axel. So yeah, very early on, Axel very quickly we recognized where the opportunity was and it was that energy storage system. It became very obvious very early 
especially when you put into context, obviously Rolls-Royce acquired the Siemens EE aircraft business. And this is a company that developed some fantastic motor and inverter products. And you look across aerospace and where the traditional players have expertise already, it's around airframes and integrations and, and some power electronics. And you could see how they were able to go and be very competitive in those markets quite quickly. And the one exception that we saw to that was the energy storage system. So energy storage systems on traditional aircraft today are just a, a relatively minor component. And obviously, yes, they've got to be safe and there's some levels of complexity, but then they're not primary propulsion. And obviously, from a safety perspective, that's really a big differentiator. So we saw the opportunity to go be industry leading at energy storage. And we've developed electroflight strategy in that direction, which, as I'm sure you can imagine, it is quite a big change from the from Roger and a small team of people doing small aircraft. But that's what startups are about. And it's about adapting to how the industry is developing. And, and we, we all very quickly realized that if we're going to go and make an impact, this is how we're going to go and do it. I'm very glad that that strategy is paying dividends some significant interest and we're starting to establish and that that's really exciting aerospace is traditionally very hard to emerge into there are very few startups that let's say for instance i want to start developing gas turbines the barrier to entry and me going from zero to someday winning a contract for a gas turbine is almost too big and it takes technology shifts to create opportunity for smaller companies to come in we're trying to use this technology shift to emerge and then establish by the time urban air mobility is just seen as a part of life and, and it is really capable we want to we want electroflight to be a player in, in that market and 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 that's the ambition it's just going to be challenging and but we've made a really good initial start and and we've got a good strong initial customer base and what we're finding fantastic at the moment is the pace at which the industry is is, is evolving and we've just got to make sure we grow quickly enough to, to fulfill that. So some of our customers have incredible ambitions on where they want to be in a few years time. And the reality is they're not going to be there if they don't have an energy storage system that is safe enough, is is tested and is qualified and can be built in the volumes they require. And Electroflight wants to be that 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 partner and supplier that's going to help them get there. And that that's a tricky thing to do. But that's the challenge we've got over the next few years. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. We, we all are. Yeah, I can imagine. So just on that, in, and you were talking about the energy storage systems then. So you, you currently mentioned that you're about 200 watts and lots of people criticize electric aircraft and say, well, there's no way that they can ever compete against traditional aircraft because they just can't get the, the power. How do you go about dealing with that then? It's very interesting. So we're, we're, we're an engineering-led company, and, and that's something I'm, I'm very proud of. And so what we're saying is is energy storage systems, i.e. batteries, will have a part to play in electrification of aerospace. But what we don't know is, is to what extent and, and, and how. And these are, these are trends that are evolving. Now, I'm not here saying that I think we're going to go transatlantic with an energy storage system, a battery rather, in any time soon, because there are some technical, There, are, we all know about the, the limitations of how we're going to get there. But there are opportunities to play to the strengths of battery systems and the cell technology today. That's what Electroflight are here to do, is to is to recognize where energy battery systems are strong and develop into those markets. So urban air mobility is a great example of where with the right use case, energy uh, battery systems work really 
well. Hybrid systems are another area where we see the ability for the power density. So let's play to the battery strength, which is power density. Let's develop solutions that can go there. Because we've got to remember that Electroflight is an integrator. We, we take a cell and we turn that into what's quite a complex system, which is an energy a battery system that's got lots of lots of technology and innovation just within that. And people seem to forget that, that step. They think it goes from Samsung cell to aircraft battery system there's a there's a lot of engineering in between and the reality is the cell industry is as we know hugely vibrant industry it's very expensive in terms of development costs and that that there's a lot there's already enough money going into that and automotive are driving energy densities and so there's a limit to how much we can influence the, the cell industry to some extent but what we can do is just ensure that we're working with the best cell technology and packaging it as efficiently as possible. But there's some fundamental elements, which is the weight of the cell that you can't get around. So so we've got a very small number to play with. So let's assume that our packaging efficiency is around about 80%. So so 80% of the, the pack's weight is the cell. You've only actually got a very small amount of weight for you to play with. So from our perspective, yes, we want to have very light battery systems, but the fundamental bits, the elements that are going to win you programs is are they safe enough? Do you have a safety case? Do you have the intelligence in the, in the pack to do that? So that that's where we're focusing. Some exceptions. So so we were very excited this this week to see Qberg just been purchased by Norfolk. So Qberg are were pretty unique because they're a new cell company coming to the market that actively always saw aviation and aerospace as a as a market that they wanted to go work in from from the offset because the fundamentals of their cell technology in terms of the step forward it gives in terms of energy density is so great so i mean some of the cells that we use today at a cell level are about 260 watt hours per kilogram they have cells that are already into the 300 so so they recognize that aerospace really need to access this this energy density we were excited to see those changes as well but from electroflight standpoint our role is to go and access these the, the best cells that we can and then turn those into the safest the lightest the, and the most cost effective aerospace packs at the end of it and, and on that i see that a couple of weeks ago you announced your partnership with heart aerospace what will your role be there then the heart program is really exciting for us so so we've spoken a lot about urban air mobility and those guys are really pushing pushing forwards towards product and showing the regulators and pushing those guys in, in, into getting to market but actually to a lesser extent sort of sub-regional airline opportunities are equally as exciting and heart have been at the forefront of that for quite a few years now they especially in their sort of native scandinavian region where sub-regional travel is really quite important to sort of general sort of national transport networks. They see opportunities where range is not so critical in these applications. They see an opportunity for a battery electric aircraft to come in and provide environmental benefit. Obviously, it's uh, zero emissions at the point of use, which is obviously important for getting in and out of built-up areas where, where the air quality impact is really important. So, so yeah, Hart have been someone that's been on our radar for a while and they've seen what we've been doing and, and we believe that their energy storage challenge is quite big. Obviously, it's a very large battery electric aircraft, but we think at Electroflight, we've got um, a good path to sort of developing that system. So the program that, uh, that we're working on is is looking at developing that energy storage system for the ES19 
sort of at a feasibility level we'll be building some demos and obviously some battery systems to test but yeah really really exciting program we're we're, we're interested in that market as i'm sure you also saw obviously rolls-royce have also announced a similar type program with another scandinavian airline so so we we see that as really exciting that that more people are sort of recognizing that this sub-regional market is as real as for say the urban air mobility yeah and i think they were retrofitting an aircraft or is that right the rolls-royce one that's right, yeah. So that that's taking a Technam baseline aircraft, so it's a little bit smaller than the ES-19 would be intended to be, but similar type of application. But um, yeah, the ES-19 we think is a is is a great concept, and and we want we want to support Hart in developing it. So so um, yeah, hopefully over the course of the program there'll be excite more exciting announcements from Hart, and we think that they have from a regulatory point of view they have significant government backing in terms of they're at the forefront of pushing regulation in terms of pushing for zero emissions uh, aircraft only so that's really exciting to see so i think i think that the governments are doing that will create demand that should create interest and hopefully some investment into into heart to enable them to to go develop this aircraft because i think they've got fantastic technical team and um, yeah we're looking forward to working with them and delivering the project yeah, and no, no, I'm excited about what they're doing, and hopefully, I can persuade someone from Heart to join the podcast at some point because it's really exciting. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put a good word in. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> that would be unbelievable. So, um, just on that, I completely agree, and it's it's interesting because it's it's a lot of people who I speak into within the new electrification will say, well, actually, it's not a completing product against traditional aircraft. It's it's creating the use case and then having so urban mobility, exactly what you said, and then regional mobility where range isn't an issue and there's other factors you're coming. And so I definitely think that it's an interesting time for the electric aircraft market because it's that it's not trying to fight or compete directly. It's saying, well, this is this is our niche and this is what we focus on. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, for sure. No, I definitely agree. If people want to learn more about Electrify, where's the best way they can get in touch? Yeah, so, so we've just got, got our new website up and running. So, so I think that's a really good overview. And yeah, there's some, there's some information a little bit more on what we're looking to achieve. Of course, there's a lot of Axel coverage at the moment and, and that's starting to ramp up. And that's a really good demonstration of, of what we can achieve in terms of we're, we're a pretty small team. LinkedIn, various other bits and pieces, we've got good presence there as we're yeah looking to, to sort of working quite a lot in the industry brilliant well i'll put all those in the show notes below so people can easily access them excellent brilliant well thank you very much Sinjin. it's been really fun and incredible just learning about what you guys are doing and and really excited to see what project excel has in the next few weeks or months thank you once again for listening if you haven't done this already please subscribe and share our podcast i'm always looking for new guests and your shares help me attract these guests Next week's episode is with the Boeing ATI Accelerator. Until then, have a great week.